Hello, you floral and somewhat off-dry Napa Valley lovers, you. My name is Judd, and welcome to Judd's Napa Valley Show. I'm awfully excited about today's episode, where we welcome a fellow whose, well, his talents I've admired for a long time, probably 30 years or so. His name is Gerald Casali, co-founder of the band Devo, a group who I've certainly enjoyed and admired the way that they have just integrated music, visual art, video, philosophy, bringing it all together, winding it into a, just a, a, a stunning and thrilling package. It was a thrill for me to be able to have them in here. And so much so was I inspired by their music that, um, you know, with my own band many years ago called The El Guapos, which the press dubbed the pioneers of the lounge punk genre, I guess we were so far ahead of our time that, uh, boy, that path took me right back to the wine biz, so much for a music career. But anyhow, when we were out there doing our thing, our big stage spectacular that we would produce on an almost nightly basis, the stunning opening medley was a mashup of a couple Devo tunes, and that always got the crowd going, and that is something that uh, I've never discussed with Gerald, and he's probably hearing right now for the very first time as he listens to this. So Gerald, we'll talk about that next time we speak. Now, the main reason he's on today's show and his connection to Napa Valley is that he's making wine. He's become a vintner, crafting a bit of his own Pinot Noir here at our own Judd's Hill Micro Crush. So we'll certainly be speaking about that as well. Anyhow, before we get to today's show, I want to let you know, as a thank you for being a loyal Judd's Napa Valley Show listener, the fine folks at Judd's Hill Winery here in Napa Valley are offering you a little perk So go to www.judshill.com. Have a look around. There's some really fun videos to look at. Wine Booty, Judd's Enormous Wine Show, Meet the Family, and have a look at the wines that are available. Put some in your cart, and on checkout, type in JNVS, which stands for, of course, Judd's Napa Valley Show. Type that all in lowercase letters, and you'll get 15% off your entire wine order. Enjoy! Now, if you're a Judd's Hill Wine Club member, and as I always say, if you're not, you really ought to be, you'll get an even better deal than that. All of the wine club information is also at juddshill.com. It's free to join. You'll get wine. You'll get invitations to all kinds of cool, exciting, fun events. We'll have a good time together. That's a guarantee. Our visiting information is also on the website, and I want to see you. I want to say hi. Let's shake hands. Let's sip wine amongst the verdant vines of Napa Valley. So come visit us at the winery. Visiting information, as I said, at judshill.com. I'll look forward to seeing you then. In the meantime, let's take a little time out for fun and meet Mr. Gerald Casali. Get ready for some Finkel fun. It's Judd's Napa Valley Show. I should mention. He talked about heart attacks all the time, too. And they talked that... About my uncle having a heart attack while he was in the bathroom, so I thought it was something that happened when you went to the toilet. What having a heart attack? A heart attack, yeah, like oh, a hard, a heart attack, like it was something to do ah. with constipation. Oh, and I got really afraid that I was going to die from a heart attack when I went to the bathroom when I was five years old. That's pretty. That's kind of heavy to lay on a kid. I know. To, it to shows you what about... happens when you misunderstand. Yeah. I mean, right about the time you want somebody to be comfortable on the I, <laughs> toilet, <laughs> like where you're going to keel over dead. That always happened to me. It's like the association had a song called Never My Love. Yeah, and, sure. La, 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 and I thought they were saying Never Mind Love. And I thought, wow, this is really a mean song. Yeah. Like if you want me to be you know, around forever, never mind, love. <laughs> Forget it. <laughs> Matt here. Yeah, very counter to the, I think, prevailing attitude of whatever year, probably 67, seven, yeah. summer of love, and summer of never love. mind. Never mind. Do you think that um, <laughs> that stuck with you when you were writing songs? Were you looking for those types of angles? You well, know, what's, what is it the proves that I was a resistive, negative personality. Oh. When you say resistive? I was resistant to, uh, you know, doing what people told me to do. As soon as I was told to do something, it bothered me. Mm. I was very good at just obeying the law and doing things, but when I was told this is what you have to do, it, it created problems. 
let's get into that once we start the show. Yeah. Speaking of which, I think we can start the show. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna put on the theme song. Get ready for another heap full of fascinating things to know from witty and intriguing people on Judd's Napa Valley show. No stale script and no rehearsing, live from a Napa studio. You may be that intriguing person on Judd's Napa Valley show. On Judd's Napa Valley show. Judd's Napa, Judd's Napa Valley, Judd's Napa Valley show. And now... Live from the 1440 KVON studio in the beautiful Napa Valley, it's Judd's Napa Valley Show. I'm Lauren Mole, and here's your host, Judd Fingelstein. Good morning, Lauren Mole. Top of the day, Judd. Top of the day, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. What is happening? You've just wrapped up your star turn in The Wizard of Oz. Yes, in Sonoma. And how did that go for you? How'd oh, you feel? Oh, man, Judd, it went great. Were you over the rainbow? Yes, yes, I was. Did you find some courage? Yes. Whatever else? Uh, hearts and brains. <laughs> Ooh, it all became the walking dead all of a sudden. Well, you know, it's not, it's not like these people are not listening to the show but not make sure they're getting scared. Okay, well, we don't want to scare anybody. Oh, yeah. Uh, but what's next? You got any other productions coming up? Uh, uh, we don't have, I'm, I'm not sure yet what the next production is going to be for Broadway Bound Kids yet. But I do have another event with uh, Everybody's a Star coming up on Sunday, December 1st. Well, tell us about that. That's, that's, that's coming up really soon, and that's yeah. in San Francisco, right? Uh, yes. The executive director of the foundation, Howard Sapper, invited me to perform my music video uh, at this event. So the, the video will be shown, or you will be singing the song from uh, your video? I will be singing the song with the video. This is the uh, Bill Graham Menorah Project. Okay, Bill Graham. Yeah, this is the uh, Menorah and Memorial Project of Bill Graham. It's going to happen in... Union Square, is that correct? Yes, it San is. San Francisco, December 1st. That's a Sunday from 3 to 5 p.m. And Lauren's going to be there singing. That's right. Showing your video. Strutting your stuff. It's true. Showing us how it's done. Rumor has it. No, it's not a rumor. Well, this is no. it. So well, fo- yes. if folks want to come, is this a ticketed event or this is something you just come on down? I think you could just come on down. I'm trying to look through the paperwork as we speak, and I think it is. Just to come on down to Union Square... In, um, oh, wait a minute. Is it at Union Square? It is. Yeah, it is. Sorry, I'm looking at two different things. Yes, there it is. The Festival of Lights in Union Square. December 1st, 3 to 5 p.m. Lauren Mole will be there singing, I showing do. why he is the man, the voice of Napa Valley. Those golden pipes. Yep, singing, <laughs> I just haven't met you yet. All right, well. But now you have. Thank you. Yep, I was waiting for somebody to come in there. And that was our guest today. Would you like to introduce him, Mr. Lauren Mole? Sure, Judd. A musician with great tunes, too numerous to tally, made his way from distant Ohio to this promised land, Cali. He's now making wine in our own Napa Valley. Let's welcome our guest, Mr. Gerald Caselli. Gerald, how are you? I I can't follow that act. Isn't he something? I know. That's why we keep him around. It's Mr. Lauren Mole, in-studio announcer of Judd's Napa yeah. Valley Show. Thank you for coming. You are here in Napa Valley right now overseeing the bottling of your first of yes. your first wine, right? Yes. That's what brought you up from the Southland, as they say. Yes. Some well-endowed investor friends of mine um, wanted to get into the wine business, and they bought property here in Napa Valley yeah. on Monticello Road, and they... Um, they gave me the green light because they know nothing, and I know something, <laughs> to proceed with a, the first vintage is uh, the 2012, so it'll be released next spring after it goes through its bottle shock, and it's, um, it's going to be all Pinot Noir. The name of the brand is the 50 by 50, named after a, uh, an all-glass house that Mies van der Rohe never got to build. He designed it in 1950. And it was never built. It was never built. Famous architect. Yeah. And uh, my friends, the investors, who are uh, part of an architectural restoration consortium. Oh, okay. That's the connection. Got, uh, got permission from the family to take the plans and build basically a realization of what Mies would have done. Wow. Which that, is great. And that'll be here in Napa? Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
it's, yeah, it's, it's rising as we speak. It's being built. Yeah. So they've got the house here. They have vineyards, but the vineyard where they are is more suited toward the, to, to the Bordeaux varieties. We're going Pinot Noir now. Correct. And that, of course, that'll take years before those varietals on that property will be ready to uh, uh, produce good wine, uh-huh. you know, render good wine. In the meantime, we bought some fruit from yeah. uh, uh, Sonoma Coast from, I believe, somebody you know very well, Jonathan Goldman. Yeah, great grower. Uh, and uh, the area is called Rogers Creek. Mm-hmm. Well-known Pinot Vineyard. And it's fantastic. We bought two clones, the uh, Dijon clone and the Pomard 667 clone. And uh, it's come out tremendous. 2012 was a great, great growing season and producing a great vintage. So I lucked out. Yeah, I'm not one to generalize, but I think 2012 was kind of worth it. It was good. The weather was just perfect all along. Now, you got to, you said the investors are kind of behind this, but they charged you with, Seeing it through. So did they let you choose the fact that it's going to be Pinot Noir Everything, and the, yeah. the grapes? Everything. Now, we didn't really even get into who you are. I think most people know who are listening. But your your main claim to fame is not in the wine world. That's true. It is as a musician. And I would like to maybe before we get back to today's bottling, and I want to get back to that. Okay. Uh, let's go back to the beginning, as it were. We don't have to go all the way back, all the way back. Right. But you... You came to wine through your involvement in the world of music, I believe. It's true. It's I mean, I grew up in Ohio. Uh, I never had the fortune of eating great food or drinking great wine. I was, you know, deprived. And uh, But then when I went to Kent State University, I met kids from out of state, and I developed some friendships with a couple people from New York who knew knew something about wine. So... They would go and buy about the best wine you could find in the area and turn me on to it, and it, it started to give me the wine bug. But when when Devo, my band, started yeah. uh, touring after signing a deal with Warner Brothers in 1978, we toured extensively, you know, playing 50 to 100 shows a year, wow. many in Europe, and and uh, I got turned on in in a major way to the wines of the world. And what was it? So before, before that happened, what to you, what was wine? It was, it, I had the same attitude about it, I think, that most people that are uh, not enculturated have, which is weirdos drink it, they're snobs, <laughs> what's so good about it anyway? Yeah. I tasted it and made me sick, you know, and they'd always pull out the cheese with it, but it'd be bad cheese. So I didn't from understand. From a can or from a... Yeah. A squeeze. <laughs> Head cheese. No, just, um, it was, uh, you know, it was a long learning process, but I think the, 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 the nicest coincidence was that when we moved to California, it happened to be in the midst of a cuisine revolution in mm-hmm. America that all started in California. So all the chefs that we'll call new wave chefs, like... Alice Waters, Jeremiah Tower, uh, Wolfgang Puck, uh, Michael McCarty, Bruce Martyr. Yeah. Uh, they were all, all within a two-year period there, all opening their first places. Right about the time you were hitting as and, well. And I stumbled upon Michael's restaurant one night because it was in my neighborhood where I had rented an apartment in Santa Monica, California. Yeah. And it turned out he loved Devo. Uh-huh. And he taught me so much about wine and food within a few short months and then introduced me to people like Piero Salvaggio, Valentino, mm-hmm. and Bruce Martyr, who had uh, West Beach Cafe. And, yeah, that whole L.A. scene. And I would go to their, their houses, you know, and eat dinners. And, uh, and, and I, I learned by drinking and eating and asking a lot of questions. And then Piero hooked me up with... Uh, winemakers in Italy and said, if you're going to be touring there, see this guy and that guy. And no, no one else in Devo was interested at all in doing that. And None of the other guys? No. So you go, we're going shopping. Okay, that was my question. If you're yeah. out on the road and you've got a few hours, yeah. I imagine schedules were tight, but yeah, what was, what was their idea of fun? If you wanted to go out and eat and drink wine and experience the world that way, what was everyone else in? Shopping. Shopping. I mean, shopping. and that used to be my, well, one of my ideas of fun, because when you're in a 
a foreign city, you find all these great and outrageous things that you don't find in America. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they they fine tuned it. They would go looking for uh, like the indigenous created comic books and okay, and well at least sex still, comics. Oh, well at least it was still artistic in yeah, some oh, way, yeah. you know, because you guys are very oh yeah, and 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 uh, you know like. Vintage clothing stores and okay. uh, novelty shops, and that's all you know. All the stuff I was interested in, but suddenly, a chance to go to a villa, you know, outside of Florence, yeah, and hang out with the winemaker and and, and drink wines coming out from the cellar, and they had a chef on premises, <laughs> and it's the middle of the day, and there's a little. They built a little rain curtain with a tile roof, perforated the tile roof, and the rain and, and pumped water from the lake. Oh. So that they created a rain curtain. So you, it's 95 degrees, but you're sitting behind a rain curtain, drinking and eating, you know, and it's unforgettable. And it sounds like, I mean, to me, that that is the best experience I could certainly imagine. I, yeah. I think maybe we're alike in that we think a lot with our stomachs and our, our palates. Well, you know, re- remember there's... As uh, Stephen Colbert pointed out in his roast of, uh, of uh, George Bush, W, there's more, there's more nerve endings in your um, uh, gut than there are in the brain. That's the truth. Is that true? That is true. Man, well, I certainly believe it. That, that's where I certainly derive uh, much pleasure. You know, folks say, what is it you like to do? And it's, that's at the top, eating and drinking. So you got into that bug. And, I mean, your brother's in the band, but he did not go no. that route or no he no didn't inherit the same nerve endings as uh, you did <laughs> didn't do the same thing with him I, I think he went for the asobuco period oh okay and you were a little more uh you like the subtleties you yeah the uh, yeah i wasn't going for volume and heaviness <laughs> right now when when diva was um big and traveling and you were getting to finally try these great wines was there one experience that you had and you said, well, this is it. I now know what another passion of my life is because obviously you have made it a big part of your life. Uh, wine. Yeah, I still remember what that was. I, I got to meet up with my, Michael McCarty in in Italy and he had planned out, a, of course, an insanely over-the-top uh, gastronomical uh, um, tour that was gluttonous and uh, oh, yeah. swift. Two cities a day, lunch in one, what, what? dinner in the other, for seven days. Oh, my goodness. And um, we ended up uh, in Tuscany at the Antonori Estate oh. drinking, which was then the brand-new thing, which had gotten them all in trouble. There were a group of elite winemakers making what came to be known as Super Tuscan Wines because they were defying all the rules and regulations Yes. Of Italian winemaking. It was super Tuscan means there are no rules. Well, yeah, they were breaking the rules, yeah. you know, where Chianti always had to have exactly the same proportions right. of everything in it. And and they said, no, you know, we're going to take um, our Sangiovese Grosso grapes and we're going to mix them with some Merlot that we grew and a little Cabernet. And maybe we won't. In fact, uh, yeah. earlier today I was listening to, uh, or I got to do a little tasting session with um, uh, Sebastiano Rosa from over there who was talking about his his wines. And I didn't even know that. I didn't know that you could just do whatever you want. I thought there were some ground rules. Well, there, if you wanted that rooster on the label on your uh, foil capsule, yeah, there were a lot of rules. Uh, okay, but, so. But they, they, they broke the rules starting right. in the late 70s. So I had... Uh, we were drinking 1978 uh, uh, Tinian Yellow. And that was what and I just changed yeah. your life? Yeah. Do you remember? This is, gonna, this is getting way too esoteric, but I'm, I'm going to ask. Oh, okay, with some <laughs> duck. That was one of the questions. <laughs> what were you eating with it? And do you know what was blended into that? Uh, the Tinian Yellow, let's see. Uh, that's mostly Sangiovese, but I... Now, was it Sasakai that has a lot of cab in it? Yeah. Sasakai is at least 80% cab. Yeah, right. I think I think it's the opposite here. Tinian Yellow has like only 20% or something like oh, okay. that. Okay. I was just curious because yeah. earlier, you know, you said if there are rules or if somebody tells me to do something, 
I want to do the opposite. So I can see why this would appeal to you. Just yeah. not even maybe the taste, but just on an emotional level. Like these guys yeah. are breaking rules, and, and it was I'm going to enjoy the hell out of it. And it was better than all the traditional Italian wines. Yeah, it was. It was modern. It touched and, you. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, let's go on Wine Searcher and find <laughs> some more of that stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's '78 still around. Uh, I don't <laughs> know. I think it would be probably beyond drinking. At this point, yeah, I don't know how those hold up or not. Um, Sasakaya might still be with all that Cabernet. Yeah, yeah. I had a, I think it was 2010 at this tasting today. And of course, what quickly happens is these wines went from the outsider outlaw wines that they had to try to sell reasonably to just ridiculously expensive and hard to get Mm -hmm. in within a few years. I think by the '85 vintage, you know, only. People with a hit record were buying buying uh, the Super Tuscans, <laughs> which you know, g- your good fortune. You had those. I had uh, it then. Yeah. Yeah. Now you then really pursued it, uh, along with making albums and right. Devo and doing everything. You became a wine educator. I mean, you really immersed yourself. Did you first take wine education classes, or did you just learn on the fly as you traveled visiting these wineries, these winemakers? The, the wine education actually came later, where I took all this anecdotal stuff mm-hmm. and experiential stuff and and then filtered it back through a, a cohesive analytical system where somebody that knew what they were talking about was teaching me okay. why, the whys and wherefores. And then you, in turn, became a wine educator. Absolutely. Yeah. I did. Yeah, you were... I did. There, you could go to... Uh, it was the shop in West L.A., right? Um, yeah, the wine house. I, I never... I never got to go to ad- I never got to advance to teaching advanced classes. I only taught beginning and intermediate classes. And what did those encompass? Was this like wine tasting 101? Here's the right type of glassware. Here's how you sniff a wine. Here's why you sniff a wine. Yeah, I mean, right, exactly. The most basic stuff, like don't hold the bowl of the wine in both <laughs> your hands. You know. But then, of course, it progressed way beyond that to just talking about the common sense things that, of course, I wish somebody told me about like 20 years earlier. Uh, like, the wine is basically the art of farming. It's farming and art in some fantastic fusion. Yeah. You know, and, it's, and, it's, and, and, and it shouldn't be snobby. You find out which varietals you really like, yeah. you know, and you find out who, who's good at making those varietals taste the way they should. And you find out where those varietals grow properly because of the climate and the soil. And then that eliminates 90% of uh, mistakes in wine buying and wine ordering. And, and frankly, most of the wine in the world is designed to be drunk soon after it's bottled. We're only talking about the fine wines that age, and everybody would be out there looking for old wines. So, right. you know, restaurants would happily sell them a five-year-old <laughs> bottle of rosé that's oh, yeah. really crummy. It's been hanging out in their, underneath their yeah. sink for a while. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, that's a good education to get. Maybe that's not always the wine you want. <laughs> right. You know, I can only imagine you've always been, it seems to be a DIY, you know, do-it-yourself kind of guy, going back from the early days. and. Uh, well, that's how Devo started. Well, okay. Yeah. And I'm getting a good... Good vibe from that. I just got actually a thumbs up from our engineer <laughs> walked by. Said, "Good show." Okay, so thank you. Um, so DIY Devo began basically. You Homegrown, had yeah. an idea, yeah. Put it together, and it was all based on our observations that the world was not progressing and things weren't getting better, and that uh, the future, as it was presented in the '60s, with you know domed cities and flying cars, yeah. was not what was happening, <laughs> but rather dystopia. And people seem to be getting dumber yeah, and uh, a- less able to comprehend and use analytical thought. We really were serious about that. But, of course, we manifest it with a sense of humor. Right. But de-evolution was real to us. And, and, and in retrospect, you know, 35 years later, nobody argues with us that, uh, that the idea of de-evolution was, was real. I think it's a harder argument now. That's what I mean. You know, looking back, yeah, I don't know how folks could really Although argue that Although it's kind point. of depressing because we didn't really want it to turn out this way, and uh, it's not so funny anymore. No. You know, you look back at some of your videos, and they're they're fun to watch. Uh, you certainly do imbue with humor, but 
you're right. Now looking through the uh, the filter of time, there's I find myself a little sad. Like yeah. this could have this yeah. could have been. Yeah, it was only supposed to be you know a smart ass kind of warning, a pose, not not a prediction in a crystal ball. Well, so now that you are a winemaker, you know I'm just curious with Devo, which stands for de-evolution, what you just spoke about, you know, which uh, uh, we do call it a, fo- a philosophy, uh, a view. What well, it was, a, it was a, yeah, it was, it was certainly like a, a worldview with a manifesto. Okay. You know, it had political overtones. Is there an actual manifesto? There was a manifesto, How yes. did I miss yeah. this one? I mean, and there were the five rules of de-evolution. Now, this has to do with... I'm trying to remember. I think I read this once. It has to do with sure. procreating. Or? Yeah, well, yeah, be like your ancestors or be different. Uh, give birth to one or, wait, lay a million eggs or give birth to one. Or give one. birth to one. I seem to remember right. reading that, yeah. Right. And uh, wear gaudy colors or avoid display. <laughs> it's all the same. I like that one. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. And, of course, we're all Devo. That it's apparent. I think what we just said, you know, that is that is hard to argue. We yeah. are. Now, what I'm getting at is that with the the, the view of de-evolution, you know, which right. seems to buck established uh, norms and authority, is this going to carry through to your wine project? Are we going to see something kind of odd, something not with the accepted... I'm trying to think what I'm trying to say because I'm not sure I believe in it all myself in the in the in the wine business. What the accepted I, I norms are, but yeah, it doesn't really. Um, I don't think it really stretches to a full application. Yeah, that's the beauty of working with nature. There's there are rules. There are rules, and wine is wine. But I'm just wondering if you are going to showcase it in a manner that is a bit different that might oh, go well, along with the de-evolution. You mean in so much as marketing. nobody knows what they really like and everything's about marketing? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Man, yeah. you, you've done this before. Well, yeah, unfortunately. It is true. I mean, and we live in a world more and more and more like that. Everybody wants everything aggregated and they want everything told to them. Right. Because they really don't know what they think. They don't know what they like. Why else would they all like Kim Kardashian? <laughs> right. You know. Well, you guys had a song about that, too, but, freedom of choice. But now if I can from. get her to drink the 50 by 50 Pinot Noir. That's a big megaphone. In a club. Yeah, you'd want that, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, let's talk more about the project, the wine project. We'll talk more about your love of art, your Napa Valley experiences, and all that good stuff. We're here with Gerald Casale, Vintner, Devo founder, cool guy, and we will... Be back with more of Judd's Napa Valley Show right after these messages. Napa Valley's ambassador of good times, fine wines, and lame rhymes, Sean Fingelstein. Thank you very much, Lauren Mole. You're welcome, John. Ah, you're a flatterer, sir, a flatterer. We are here today with Gerald Casale, founder of the band Devo, current Napa Valley vintner, making wine here. And uh, looking to move here, looking to move here. Well, let's talk about that too. I mean, we've only got this one hour to talk, and you are a, a deep dude with. Many facets to your creativity and talent. So I know we're just going to scratch the surface. So it's yeah, just it, I really, really, really like it up here. What's not? You to know, like? I, I mean, I obviously I dropped into LA mostly by accident because that was the center of the record business. And when we signed our deal with Warner Brothers Records mm-hmm. uh, in the 20th century, yeah. 1978, uh-huh. you had to be near. Uh, where your label was. I mean, there was no way to function in that business from afar at that time. Yeah, it makes course, sense. All of that's gone. I mean, there's it's just 
the record business turned upside down, as did so many businesses, and it's the inverse of what it was. I mean, back then you made a lot of money from selling your records. Not so much anymore, <laughs> And now the records are like a lost leader promo, and bands make their money from live shows and merchandising. Which has been your forte since the very beginning. So obviously you realized that early on, and I think coming from an art background didn't hurt. Well, the funny thing is we, because we put on elaborate theatrical shows mm -hmm. with you know, with props and things that work, like treadmills and... Yeah, yeah, you know, I remember seeing... You know, almost like a off-Broadway musical, like mm -hmm. a, a temple that disassembled and became a platform eight feet high with lights and, you know, like all the kinds of things on, on a level that now bands like Nine Inch Nails with Trent Reznor mm -hmm. take and take to the next dimension. You know, right. But we, we did what was possible then, both technologically and with in our means. You have to remember that when people started having to buy Devo tickets for 6 or $7 to see a show, they were bitching about it. Wow, that was a little high, huh? <laughs> that was high. And then how much did it cost to send away for an energy dome and the insert in your album back then? About 10 that was ten bucks. Yeah. Wow. So we good didn't marketer. make we did not make money from live shows because it all poured back into the production. I see. We didn't make money from our merchandise because we created that merchandise. I, I designed the red hats mm -hmm. and the, and the pompadour hairdos and all right. that kind of stuff. And the yellow suits were custom and and so no merchandiser that just handled big bands would handle us because they just did. You know, standard, whatever you call that in the business, standard tax. Like, here's your T-shirt. Right. The image can be 8.5 by 11 on there. There's no customization. No customization. So we had to pay for the manufacturing costs. So uh -huh. by the time we sold it, where the promoter was taking 30% off the top at the hall. Oh, great. And your Even merch the merchandise they're taking? Oh, that's what they do. Oh, man. Promoters I thought that was the plan. Notoriously, uh, uh, let's say they have... Spider legs. Yeah, no, I get it. I for some reason I thought the merchandise was like the band's plum and the no, got the, no. oh, what the hell do I know? They they're going. Listen, we're letting you play in our hall, and our hall's famous. Uh huh. So okay, I see. If we let you sell things here, yeah, we're taking thirty percent off the top. Well, you you do that mm -hmm. and subtract the cost of the merchandise, and there's not much left for the band. And nobody had the merchandise that you had. I mean, That's it what was completely custom. We, was... we had to make it, right. pay for it. And then we had to hire people to fulfill mail order uh, um, orders, and we had to hire people to sell it at the venue. And they're notorious at sh shrinkage. Right. Embezzlement. Yeah. Cash shrinkage in the Devo cottage or industry. Or goods. That just, oh, like I see. Where the numbers didn't add up. It's like... What happened to those 10 dozen T-shirts, you know? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, yeah, black then, market pompadours that's going right. off on Sunset Boulevard. Yeah. So we only made money from record sales. And and whatever the writers, you know, being a writer, you make the lion's share of the money mm -hmm. from publishing. Is that, so that still was Mark the case, and I, or? you know, we wrote all the songs. Oh, okay. And um, now these days, is these that days, yeah. still the case with... Uh, I mean, I've been on clubdevo.com. There's lots of great merchandise. I assume you're not back there, you know, um, forming energy domes yourself no. anymore. Is no. And it's also a matter of uh, uh, how, how widely known your site is. And clubdevo.com is not a widely known site. It doesn't come up on a million search en engines mm. or banner ads. So we're getting mostly the hardcore base Right, right. You know, of Devo fans. Which, thankfully, you seem to have. I mean, you've held on to these folks and gained new folks along the years. Well, that's true, because, I mean, at least we, you know, our our music and what we did and the videos and, and uh, the the aesthetic was thought out. I mean, it, it, there was something behind it other than just style. So we did something right, and it's hung on. You know, you can only, an artist only has... So much to say for so long. Right, right. But if it's big enough, <laughs> you know, it, it endures. Look oh. at the Velvet Underground. I mean, they existed for three years. And 
and They're an legendary. amazing reach. It was, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about it right now with Lou Reed having just passed. And yeah. Was it was it Brian Eno? I mean, who you worked with? Yeah. Um, but did, did he? Is yeah. he the one that said that you know only maybe in the course of their entire career maybe a couple thousand people ever saw them, but everyone who ever or bought the album, but everyone who did then formed a band. Yeah. Yeah. He I said mean, that. that's reach. That was Brian Eno. Yeah. He said that. Talk about reach. Well, yeah. I've got to imagine you've inspired a lot of folks through your music, the well, images, least, the mm, art attached. Mm, it connects yeah. with people on an amazing amount of layers and levels. Yeah, yeah, we uh, we fare well with other musicians and creative people. They yeah. they cite us favorably that that we inspired them, and that's probably because we weren't afraid to break rules and break new ground. And we looked different, we sounded different. We our lyrics were about things that lyrics usually weren't about in pop music. I mean, that's something Lou Reed did. Yeah, you know, oh, did that for me. No you doubt, know, he inspired me. You know, the poetry of the street, I think, is a, yeah. a term that's been bandied about recently, which yeah. nobody had been doing. Now, with the new wine project, I mean, how are you? There's a lot of wines out there, and I know your wine know. is great, and it has a beautiful label. I've seen the preview <laughs> of the design. It's got the, um, you know, the home, the image of the, the home we talked about. Right. But what is, I mean, everyone's got to have a plan. You know, and you are, it's been proven now that, you know, a master of marketing and merchandising <laughs> and imagery and the art surrounding a uh, product. So what is, what's your plan to get people to connect with this wine? Yeah, well, I think it's actually a lot tougher in the, in the wine business than it is in the music business. <laughs> it's, a, it's a much more like, it, it's, it's a tiny pond. You know, you have a little playpen to play in. Uh-huh. And everybody has to obey the same rules. After all, we are, we are selling something controlled by the ABC, that's true. Government it's, controls. It's a drug. substance. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I can only do what I can do. But, I mean, I, I think being me, I can get key people at great restaurants to taste it. Right. And maybe put it on their restaurant list. That's the first step. Yes. I mean, this is a small production. This was really uh, hands-on all the way through. So it... It's, it doesn't taste like corporate wine. It, it has a lot of character. And Ken Vigoda, the uh, winemaker, uh, really really is an experienced guy, as you know. And He's good. You know, full disclosure, it's a great wine. It's made by Ken Vigoda. Yeah. At and bottled at Judd's Hill. Hey, who knew? Um, but I figure we should put that at full disclosure. Uh, hey, you know what I mean. It has too. a lot. What's that? Wait, what's that, Lauren? And a recent guest, too. That's right. Ken was on the show playing his bells. Did you, How about that? Did you know, uh, Gerald, that Ken, as a musician, plays the English bells? He never told me that. We'll have to get you a CD. It's pretty great. That's go great. <laughs> well, maybe that's why this wine has so many notes in it. There you go. <laughs> and it does. It's well-balanced. It's, it's what I like about Pinot Noir. You know, it's, it's uh, pristine, clean, and well-balanced on the palate. It's not a it's not a hit you over the head wine that uh, won't go with any food you're going to eat, you know. Yeah, Pinot, Pinot, and this one in particular is it's elegant, it's feminine, it's yeah. uh, it's lovely. Yeah, if I may say so, your Pinot is lovely. <laughs> Why, thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, uh, now, what we're going to make with the estate grown wine on the property? Yes, at this the is what I want to talk about. Yeah, that's we're going to grow. Cabernet Sauvignon, of course. Again, nature dictates. The soil, all the soil reports there are incredible. Uh, we got just the right kind of soil for Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, and in one area, Cabernet Franc. One area seems like we're going to get away. Oh, nice. With so get a little Cab Franc on there. Yeah, we're going to. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to we're going to blend uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, uh, Merlot, and some Cabernet Franc in a Bordeaux-style wine. Is the plan to make a Cabernet Sauvignon or just the best Bordeaux blend you can put together? Yeah, it won't be called Cabernet Sauvignon. It won't. Okay, so the plan is to make a Napa Valley red wine or Bordeaux-style red wine. A great, a great, like, top-shelf table wine. Great. You know, something like a Calon Segur or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Where Ken said, why would you want to do that? And I I thought, now I'm going to do it. Exactly. (laughs) We know now how to work with you. Yeah. If we want you to do something, we'll tell you yeah. not to. That's how to work with Gerald. I just, I've just gotten to a point. I just don't, I don't 
you know, drink the 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 wines that the twenty and thirty year olds uh, who are like jockey kind of guys that like to drink wines with tons of tannin and thick fruit that that seems like you could pour it over ice cream. Yeah, and highly extracted. Knock you out. Woody. Fuzz your head up. <laughs> you know, you wake up messed up for two days later. Wine I, fuzz. I don't drink that wine anymore. Not your thing. Well, I think there's all of our palates develop, and that is certainly something that is, I shouldn't say easy to drink, but it's easy to get impressed by. Let's put it that yeah. way. So maybe if you're. Well, it's a fruit bomb. Yeah, exactly. It just wakes up your tongue and says, here I am, right. you know, punching the face a little bit. Right. And some things, you know, for me personally, um, I've only recently started enjoying some craft beers, and I've decided I kind of like that in a beer. I like that to beer to just say, boom, here I am. It's bitter. It's, it's yeah. robust. But the wines, yeah. I'm with you. Subtlety is key. Absolutely. Give me something to think about, to swirl around, to ponder. Yeah. To let meander around my tongue a bit before I, you know, swallow. Yeah, it's got to have a beginning, middle, and end. It has yeah. to have a nice finish on it. It shouldn't just hit you and be gone. So that's the plan for the Bordeaux blend, as well as the Pinot, of course. I mean, yeah. we're already there with the Pinot. Yeah, and so, we're making a rosé of Pinot Noir in 20, uh, for the 2013 vintage. Yeah, that'll be fun. Which we'll probably release at the same time we release the 2012 Pinot Noir. Right, makes sense. So it be a nice little duet. Right, you can go to some wine buyers, get them both on the list, or maybe that coveted by-the-glass placement, and hopefully people get one of each and put them we next to each other. We want that by-the-glass oh, placement. Oh, yeah, who doesn't want that one? Well, I'm glad you've got that plan. My father always used to say, and he would teach, he taught small winery development at Napa College. And when we got to the um, marketing part of it, his advice was just <laughs> get a plan. You know, no matter how much money you might have, no matter how many friends you've got, your Rolodex is only going to take you so far and maybe through that first vintage. You know, your friends will be excited, but then after right. that, you know, all of a sudden they've got a couple cases. What are they going to do with it? So, good. we got the plan. Now, you started to talk about Napa Valley as a place you'd like to come, how Los Angeles, you sort of just were dropped there because that's where the record companies yeah. were, the studios. So this is probably an obvious question, but, you know, if you have more of a take on why you'd like to live here besides that, it's beautiful and there's delicious wine and great food. <laughs> besides and, all the obvious yeah, besides things. all that stuff, uh, uh, what well, makes you I want mean, to come here? You know, again, Los Angeles just is a place. It, it's like the velvet trap, you know, because of the climate and because of this illusion of constant success and mm. being the center of the film and music business. You, you know, you're lured into it. And then I realized, well, now there's less and less reason to be there other than the climate. Uh, but I, I don't find the, the everyday experience of being in Los Angeles satisfying, you know, fulfilling. And the people are all kind of strange because they're all in the make. They're all in the make. And even your friends aren't your friends. And everybody's competing at every moment. I understand. You know, and there's a kind of a desperation I've, I I live down there. Yeah. My degree, which was not in winemaking, I mean, I learned this craft just growing up with it, my father. And, but my degree in television production brought me to Los Angeles, where I lived for several sure. years, and I experienced just that. And my skin certainly was not thick enough to last more than a few years before I realized, boy, I really think I had a good thing going back up there in Napa and came right. back and joined the right. family biz. Because you're, you're right. There was this kind of attitude. I mean, I did have a great core of friends, but then the folks you kind of meet on the peripheral that seem friendly, seem like they just always had, a, had an angle, you know, it, trying to get something or... It's, yeah, it's, it's depressing. And this, this up here is what I think is a relatively devolution-free zone. Ah, I like that. Yeah. We could put that now entering Napa Valley. Yeah. They have that big sign, you know, welcome yeah. to Napa Valley. World-famous wine-growing region and yeah. devolution-free <laughs> zone. Would you find, do you find, I mean, being the creative guy that you are, do you find that winemaking satisfies that need to have the creative outlet? It does in me. It does. Yeah. And I, and I realize, gee, I feel more positive at the end of the day when I'm up here. I mean, obviously, I, I, okay, another obvious thing, I would imagine that has to do with drinking a little wine, which I feel is magic for that uh, boost to the spirits, but uh, you enjoy the industry. You enjoy talking about it. You yeah. just immerse yourself. Yeah, and, and, and I enjoy the fact that not everybody you run into 
is somebody that's, you know, on the make trying to get their next big hit. I mean, you meet some nice people up here. <laughs> that is true. I've, I've have helpful found people. and helpful people. That's exactly where I was going, where my experience working on film crews, um, I loved the creative aspect of the filmmaking. And that's what drew me there in the first place was most people, I would imagine. But um, the fact that a lot of folks that I met would rather, you know, kick me in the rear than give me a helping oh, hand to help me kind of advance my you. career. They're there to sabotage you. So I don't want to, you know, condemn a whole industry, but I would just say that there's less of that. There is a stereotype of the Napa Vintner community being very helpful, of great camaraderie. If you need something, your pump breaks in the middle of a harvest, you know, your neighbor's going to wheel one over for you. And that stereotype is pretty true, yeah. I'm happy to say. Yeah. You know, that, that spirit is alive and Where well in, in L.A., they'd go, ha-ha. <laughs> and, and point. Yeah. <laughs> Look at you. Yeah. Uh, Maybe I'll is, sell a little more since yours is ruined. That is sad. <laughs> that is sad. And do you also find that this satisfies your, your DIY, the aspect yes, of your absolutely. creative life? Yeah. Like you get to call the shots, you're putting it together. Well, I'm learning. Mm-hmm. I'm learning. Because it seems like this project, even though you said it's at the behest of these, uh, your wealthy friend, but it has been a DIY project for you. They've yeah. kind of let you make this happen. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So how did it feel today? You know, it's been, what now? Uh, a year, uh, when did we've, it's a 2011 harvest, right? Uh, the Pinot is the well, 2012. We, we talked Excuse about me. it We talked about it in 2011. It's 2012 we, harvest. Yeah, 2012 harvest. We're now in November of 2013. And we The bottled. Pinot was bottled today. Right. So today. how'd that feel when it you got great. that bottle? It was great. After all this time. It's, it's, it was like when we saw our first uh, record in the stores. Yeah? Really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. And it had the shrink wrap on it, you know? Ah. That's how this was. That just gave me the goosebumps. Yeah. That's really cool. So you're going to pop one open. You're going to taste it. <laughs> just like and you probably pu- pulled that shrink wrap off and put your record on the turntable to hear how it sounded. No, I'm, I, I already know better. I, if I <laughs> popped it open and tasted it, I'd be shocked. That's what I was going to tell you. Literally, bottle shot. Yeah. Yeah, don't pop it open no, for a while. No, I won't. Yeah, that's... I did taste it right from the tank, though. And that probably was and delicious. And that was good. But then the wine goes through what it goes through yeah. when you bottle it, and yeesh, yeah. you can't really touch it for... Yeah. You know, give it a couple months. We'll be back to it. When, when are you hoping to release it? Uh, we're thinking of April Fool's Day. Perfect. <laughs> for, All right. For the 2013... Uh, Rosé and the 2012 Pinot. And if folks want it, how does one come about getting some of this? Well, that remains to be seen. I mean, we're working on the website now. There'll be the ability to go to the 50 by 50 website and buy. Um, I'm trying to place it in key places in L.A. and San Francisco. Um, I know that Christian Navarro is interested in tasting it at Wally's. If he likes it and we're in at Wally's, that will be... Tremendous jump up. Yeah, big wine shop there in West L.A. And, uh, and of course, he, he now partnered with the Marciano brothers of Guest Jeans. Oh, is that so right? So they own Wally's. Oh, I wasn't aware of that And Wally's is about to go global. And they started with a huge uh, top-shelf auction in New York City this week. Well, you got to get in there and push the Pinot. Yes, yes. Well, and he's, he's an expert and a Pinot fan. You know, right on the website. You said it's not up yet, but is no, there a is be. there a URL that folks can look for down the line? Of- yeah, it's a it's a you know it's www.the50by50.com. Oh, okay, the fifty by fifty. The fifty by fifty dot com. And fifty. And then it'll is- be info at the fifty by fifty dot com. Okay. And um, that's spelled out on the label. It's the numbers. Oh. The fifty is a number by fifty, but. In the land of uh, URL sitters and right. you know guys that want a hundred thousand dollars for things, uh, we couldn't get those numbers. We had to spell fifty. Okay, I think most folks would probably handle that. Probably find you just fine. <laughs> that's great. Very exciting. April Fool's Day release date. That's yeah. that's perfect. This is the part of the show where I normally would ask you a question, a specific question that I ask all my guests. But since you are a man of pure and healthful eating habits who 
poisons himself not but for the grape. I will not ask you if you go nuts for donuts. That's a big part of our show here. We bring donuts out here. Doc says no. Doc says no. I seem to recall that you are, you've got a very healthful eating habit. So. And besides, what's going to happen to donuts if the, the trans, trans fats? Trans are fats are on their way out. So the donuts aren't going to have that same uh, appeal. Lauren, what are we going to do here? We're going to have to find a new bit. Yeah, boy. I, I'm not, and I'm glad I don't see a maple old-fashioned donut this week. Oh, uh, would you just go for it? Sure. Why not? Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Doing a little improv, some space work. <laughs> but this is the time on the show where we're going to play everyone's favorite party game here on Judd's Napa Valley Show. This is Mad Libs. Gerald Casale. It's oh my time. God, Mad Libs. Yes. You remember this game? Uh, Steve... Uh... Steve. The television personality. Steve uh, Allen. Steve Allen. Steve Allen. Oh, did he do Mad Lib type Oh, bit? he did Mad Libs incessantly. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Who knew we were ripping off his bit, Lauren? Yeah. Never knew that. Oh, well. That was always the part of the show that I waited for. Well, guess what? You get to be a part of it right now. Great. How exciting is that? Great. You know how it works. I do. Let's get going, then. I need an adjective. An adjective. Yeah. A good descriptor. You're a wine guy. Okay. Yeah. Bloated. <laughs> okay. Bloated. Uh, another adjective. Um, well, hideous. Hideous. Bloated and hideous. I kind of like where this is going. Let's see. Uh, a plural noun. Oh, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I skipped one. I need a number. Oh, you Give need me a number? number first. Let's go in order of what the sheet I've got. A number. Oh, how about a wacky number? Yes. MC squared. Oh, my goodness. MC squared. All right. All right. I'm no Einstein, but we'll figure that out. <laughs> a plural noun. Let's see. What's in keeping with where this is going? Morons. Uh-oh. <laughs> wait, wait, wait a minute. Can you really say that on the air? I think he's saying it about uh, present company, maybe? I hope not. No. Okay. No, no, no. Okay, morons. We've got it. Uh, a noun. Which, of course, could be a person, place, or thing, but let's just go with a thing. Okay, something I just saw on the news. Obelisk. An, ooh, an obelisk. Obelisk. Not enough obelisks in the news these days. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad they're making a comeback. And finally, another adjective. Ah. Uh, uh, that's easy with who I've been dealing with in, uh, in my um, tribulations over Devo's publishing. Um, oh, Duplicitous. Oh, dear. Okay. Well, that's certainly another story for another time, I think. I'm sorry to hear that yeah. things are going that way. Well, here we go. We have just finished one. <laughs> I looked up your bio, Gerald, and took out some snippets, ah. and you have now just rewritten part of it oh, via great. this Mad Libs game. So here we go. You ready? Yeah. Here we go. <clears throat> me, 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 me. Here we go. The work of Gerald V. Casale has withstood the test of time. A visualist with an eye for comedy, Gerald offers the double-barreled punch of a bloated craftsman's experience fused to a fresh, quirky, hideous sensibility. <laughs> that's a good... That's, that's really true. That worked out well. Okay. He started by directing and co-writing the songs and concepts for more than MC Squared <laughs> music videos. Now, now, since I'm not Einstein, is that a lot? Is that that's like the whole relative and the I speed think, of light, and that's got to be a lot of videos. I did a lot. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, directing and the, the the concepts and directing for music videos with his pioneering new wave band Devo. After creating Devo's legendary low budget camp style, he graduated into the '90s with high profile videos for morons <laughs> such as the Foo Fighters, Soundgarden, <laughs> and Rush. <laughs> I won't tell him he said that. How about that? <laughs> oh, this is coming from a place of love. Just, yeah, you know, you know the just guys like in... Richie Incognito. <laughs> oh yeah, right. Let's not get into that. The guys from Rush, you know, very big wine aficionados. You know, the um, the guitarist. The, the I don't know if you saw the documentary about them. It ends with them sitting around a table at a restaurant drinking, I believe, Pinot Noir. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's guitarist name? Alex uh, Lifeson. When I, I, I did two videos for them, mm -hmm. in the, one in the late 80s, one like at 1990, and um, I was in Toronto for both of those, and yeah. uh, I, I marveled at his collection. I remember 
compared to what I know now, I knew nothing then, but I knew what I was looking at when he had a a huge, you know, he's, wine He's got a cellar. cellar. And he had rows of Petrus. Ah, uh, well. Yeah. Yeah, well, you can do that when you've been selling Making, out arenas absolutely. for years and years. Yeah. Uh, they used to come up here with some regularity. I never got the chance to meet up with them, but I always hear stories like, oh, they're visiting up at Phelps yeah. or they're doing something. Um, I've, I'm derailing the Mad Libs now. Oh, okay. I just want to play a guessing game of, for me real quick because I don't know which videos you directed for Rush. I just read this off the, uh, the bio, so I'm going to have to go look. But can I venture a guess one of them? Sure. Because I've seen some Rush videos. I really like that band. Uh, just tell me if I'm right or wrong, because now that you mention it, there's one just, it's popping in my head, just the look of it, the feel of it. All right, here I go. Going out on a limb. Was Superconductor one of your... Yes. It was? Yes. Wow. And Mystic Rhythms was Hooray. the other. I win the donut next week. <laughs> what was the other one? Mystic Rhythms Oh, Mystic Rhythms. Others. Yeah. Oh, that's a cool video. You know, that uh, Superconductor, it... I'll have to go back and figure out which of the Devo videos, but I, there, there's something familiar in that Superconductor video. Just remind <laughs> me of you. Okay, cool. Okay, great. Well, the evil puppet master. Yeah. That, I think that might yeah, be part it, of it. Yeah. Um, is it one of... Now I'm getting into like fanboy stuff. Yeah. One of the videos is it uh, is a girl you want with the people in the bleachers right. kind of jump. Is that it? Right. Okay, so maybe that's it because Superconductor also has people yeah, kind of being in the manipulated. Seats. Yeah, by the man behind the curtain. Okay, we got to the bottom of something. Okay, back to that rings a bell. <laughs> yeah, who's? Oh, that's right, Mr. Uh, yeah, Professor pay Marvel. No, pay, pay no attention to the man <laughs> behind the curtain. Well done, Lauren. <laughs> okay, let's finish up this, shall we? This silliness. Uh, Back to your bio. Yeah. Off the set, Casali's pursuits of wine collecting and winemaking provide a life-affirming redirect from the rigors of production. Here's a quote. We're in a very stressful business, says Gerald. Life is too short for one bad obelisk (laughs) (laughs) or one duplicitous bottle of wine. (laughs) Truer words have never been said about that. Gerald Casale, I want to thank you very much for sitting down with us here and being a guest on Judd's Napa Valley show. Can't wait for April Fool's Day. We can pop a bottle of that, the 50 by 50 Pinot Noir. Yeah, and And the rosé. And the, exactly, and the rosé, and I'll look forward to being able to call you neighbor when you move up here to Napa Valley. That would be wonderful. Great. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.
Thanks for digging another Judd's Napa Valley Show with Vintner Judd Finkelstein. Judd's Napa Valley Show.